how to start? Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're bottom. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to the Creative Principles Podcast. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. Over the past 200-plus episodes, I've had the good fortune of speaking with dozens of screenwriters, actors, and directors, such as Aaron Sorkin, Mel Brooks, Carrie Fukunaga, Whitney Cummings, Michael Imperioli, and William Monaghan, among others. We've dissected ideas on story, character, filmmaking, habits, and various principles for creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button on iTunes or SoundCloud. You can also find several of these interviews on the Creative Screenwriting Magazine website, in addition to some that aren't available in audio, such as with Nick Kroll or Stephen Merchant. In addition to the podcast, also make sure to search for the new video essay series on YouTube, also called Creative Principles, where we take a deep dive into movies and television. Join millions of viewers for subjects like the 16 personalities expressed as characters, Did Home Alone, Rowan John Hughes' Career, The Greatest Movie Never Made, and How Jackie Chan Creates Perfection Through Failure, among many more. That's Creative Principles on YouTube. Bruce Miller spent the first part of his career pinning movies that rarely got made until he started writing television movies. All of a sudden, his stories were coming to the silver screen and then he moved to television work. Today he's best known for writing on ER, Everwood, Medium, The 4400, In Plain Sight, Alphas, The 100, and he's the creator of Handmaid's Tale. On Who Lose the Handmaid's Tale, the story opens in a dystopian future where a woman played by Elizabeth Moss is forced to live as a concubine under a fundamentalist theocratic dictatorship. In this interview, Miller talks about the quick feedback of writing television, the importance of writing well fast, writing emotionally difficult scenes, learning curves in TV, misconceptions within the industry, and how he fills the writer's room. I was always a person who was a creative writer. Um, and uh, so, you know, elementary school and, and, and high school, and I think those classes are actually some of the most important ones um, when you, uh, because for the first time you're kind of encouraged to do, to come up with your own idea and execute it. It's not something that you get to do very much creatively um, at that age, because so much of what you're learning creatively uh, you got to learn how to do it first, like photography and those kind of things. You're learning how to do it as opposed to getting a chance to do it. So, um, you know, uh, even though the writing part ends up being difficult to learn, the I want to tell a story part of it is something that that you do have a natural ability to do. So, um, I, you know, I started writing really early um, and I watched TV and movies. And so um, I'm pretty dyslexic not 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 incredibly uh but i don't read very well um and so novels were never really my thing and strangely although a lot of people i know who are dyslexic like graphic novels and comic books i didn't i don't know why it didn't really 
I think it was interesting. I think it's the dialogue. There's a stylized version of dialogue that's not my version. My dialogue is so sounds like just a real person talking. Mm. And there's a stylized version of dialogue that they tend to use in, in comic books that I think didn't fit my ear or, or what have you. Um, and so I just gravitated towards TV and movies because I liked, you know, um, I, I, I have a pretty uh, pedestrian taste when it comes to uh, drama. You know, if you look at Handmaid's, uh, it, it's, it's well observed, carefully observed television, but, but it's also incredibly like, no, A, B, C, this happens, this, you're, you always know what you're worried about. And you, you know, and so you always know whose point of view it is, you know, so it's all very simple. Um, but when, I, so I went to college and I, I took writing class in college, I took a drama class writing drama, but as much as I liked the idea of writing plays, I didn't really get much out of watching plays as much as I did out of movies and mm. which I think is, you know, just, it was a more complete experience. And around that time, TV started to change, you know, it was, when I was a when I was a kid, I remember like when I was really little, like Police Story and the Rookies and things that were multiple storylines and a little more kind of unpredictable, like real life. It was a combination of of character stuff, plot stuff, and and just dumb chance. You know, it's like that, and that's the life of a policeman. And so, uh, and then I started to watch Hill Street Blues and ER and all of those kind of things, and it was kind of the birth of. Uh, and my so-called life shows that that uh, were more grounded, mm-hmm. and the conflicts were more kind of uh, inside the character, and it kind of lent itself well to the kind of acting I think that people were doing then, or what have you. But um, so, uh, but when I started to write, I didn't really know what a TV writer was, so I just started to write features, and I liked features. It and uh, you know I did really well. Not what I bought a house and, but I never got anything produced. You know, you kind of go on forever and, and, you know, you write and write and write and things get bought and you get paid to rewrite. And, and then I wrote TV movies for a while. And this was during the heyday of TV movies. And literally it was the opposite of features, you know, features, you're kind of working for a magazine. The ultimate result is this script. You're never going to make a movie, but in TV, it's like you, at that point you'd pitch it on Thursday and Monday they'd say, okay, we're going to go into prep in six weeks start writing a script and uh, and it was so great because you actually get to see i write this they make it it's shitty oops <laughs> now they write this they make it it's a little better they write this i thought this was going to be funny it's not funny you know it's like you get to see the actual process and it's within your living memory of when you wrote it so you remember why you wrote that scene. and um and then i got a i got a, a, my agent put me on a show as a staff writer i'm, I'm a show on Fox Family, which was kind of the precursor to uh, ABC Family, you know, which was, you know, which is now, I forget what it is. Anyway, uh, it's, it's, it, it was a, it was a, a, a family station um, and uh, a family network. And, it, you know, it, it was a great job. And I met lots of people who I still work with and all that kind of stuff. That's one of the nicest things about TV is you work with people, you know, you keep coming back and forth and working with people again and again, or never work with them, but, but, but kind of are in, in orbit with people a little bit more. You know, f- I think features tends to be there's, there's someone who's kind of at the center of it for a little while, and then they, they disappear and someone else comes in. But the person who was at the center doesn't really get to enjoy that person being there because 
they're not they're you know it's it's very much a kind of uh there's a five or six stars in the sky writing wise in in film for a year and then there's five or six other ones as the oscars come around and it's not and tv i get to work with other writers which is a total i mean you know i'm sure you know as a writer the the best thing is when you don't have an idea to have someone else there and you know when i did journalism you know in in um college and beyond i always love that that's the whole point the whole fun part about it is that you just go is there any and that's the great thing about tv is when you realize if i don't have an idea there's nine people who are who i hired and if you've hired the right nine people they're all better at it than you are a hundred percent of them are smarter better because that's what you want you want you know to walk in and go, this is my idea. And everybody goes, I got a better idea. And they all are. And you're like, great. <laughs> you know, that I have to work half as hard and I do twice as well. This is mm-hmm. perfect. Um, so, uh, so I got into TV that way. Um, and uh, I ended up uh, working for a long time on lots and lots of different shows. And then I could easily have gone on in that way and been very happy and made a very good living. I was a working writer. When Handmaids came along, um, it, it, it was something different that I hadn't been asked to do before. And certainly I didn't choose it. I had read the book in college and I really wanted the project to come my way, but it wasn't like I, you know, it was just kismet that it happened to be a time I was available. Um, and also I checked in and they were looking for a showrunner, but they were looking for a woman and I'm not one. And, you know, I was one penis over the limit for that job. And so I, you know, um, I waited very, very patiently because I was completely on their side. I, you know, I very much wanted them to hire a woman showrunner, but I wanted the, you know, I didn't know what to do. I was like, I completely saw where they were coming from, but, but they met with a lot of people who had a lot of interesting takes. And then they very kindly included me in that conversation. And, and um, it, it, it fell my way, um, you know, and easily couldn't have, and I would moved on to the next job. So a lot of, that, you know, you, you find the right show that fits your writing style with Elizabeth Moss and the right director. You know, all of those puzzle pieces coming together, you know, sometimes it never happens. So that aspect of things, I think, is just, it's nice that it happened later in my career when I actually knew how to write. Earlier, I just would have been, uh, it would have been a lot more nerve-wracking. Mm. Yeah. You see, so a lot of people come into the business and they've kind of, or, or they want to come into the business. They've got an idea that every job is like a Tarantino or, or James Cameron, where you've got this precious thing that you make every so often, as opposed to like real TV writing, where you have to really be prolific. Would you say deadlines are the most important thing? Would you say juggling projects are most important? What, what do you see in terms of longevity in a career? I think, you, you know, you have to learn how to write well fast. And, and, and that's the basic skill is writing well, fast. So um, it, it's hard for me to teach someone who ha- how to write well. That's a process, but I can help them write more quickly. So usually when I bring on someone new, what I'm working on is their speed. Um, but the other thing is really understanding story structure and being able to sit in a room with a bunch of people and outline out loud and understand how things are put together. And so I think that that, that part of it is, is um, sometimes people do that by instinct at the beginning and you can't do it by instinct. And because what we do is we, we're writing four scripts at a time. So 
we all have to be on the same page story-wise. So we have to be able to verbalize that. And I think that, that that's where the greatest learning curve comes for, for TV. Um, and also that's where the greatest, um, the, 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 the satisfaction of the team effort comes that you don't get in, in some other things. But, you know, I, I, I do think that um, uh, when, you work, when you work on a movie, a lot of times there's one director and there's one writer. Um, but, you know, in TV, there's a bunch of those people. So you get to see a bunch of different people doing it. And that really is that, you know, that there are a lot of different skills that people have. And some people are very strong at some things and not as strong at the other things. And I think that when you look at TV, the variety of jobs, you know, as you say, people look at Tarantino and these people who are, you know, iconoclastic and work on one thing, but they don't work on one thing. They're working on a thousand things. You're just seeing the one thing that comes up at the end of the day. They're working on a thousand little things that they think are interesting or important or reading books or, you know, you know, this is, uh, you know, I don't fart around all day. I'm looking for the next thing to, to, that's interesting, you know, it's, and uh, so I think, you know, the, the uh, Tarantino and, and Cameron, they take a long time to make their projects exactly the way that they want them because it takes a long time and that means hard work every single day. And it's, and it seems like they wait around. No, no, it just takes that long to make it. You know, mm. it just takes that long to make those 45,000 decisions that they mm. do very, very um, well. So I think that people are much busier on a day-to-day basis than it looks like from the outside. Right. What, what are some of your thoughts about developing a writer's room? What type of person are you looking to be in there and how do they balance each other out and that type of thing? I, I think you have to have some basic social skills and those are actually some of the most important. And I think... Uh, they don't come naturally to all writers. Some writers are really writers because their relationship is with the idea on the page, not really with another person. So uh, you have to see if they have that. Um, and so I look for the um, you know uh, ability to listen well, listen uh, actively, not just wait for your chance to talk, which is an incredibly difficult thing because and a writer's room feels like a conversation, but it's not, it's work. And when it's work, your job is to listen actively. And it's hard, you know, not to just sit there and go, oh, I've got an idea. I, I want to wait till I get a chance to say, it. you can't do that. That's not what I'm paying you to do. I'm paying you to listen. And so uh, you, so the good thing is that I look for people who kind of are naturally curious, respectful and listen. And those things allow me or any other writer in the room to contribute an idea and then have it interrogated by another writer in a genuinely curious, genuinely positive way. So what it is, is it's an amplifier for every single idea that's pitched. If you are respectful and curious and nothing else, you never come up with an idea. You take every idea in the room and turn it into a bigger idea or turn it into an idea that we know isn't going to work. But you, you know, you being able to, respectfully interrogate an idea, not even directly to the person. Sometimes it's, you know, a lot of times when someone tells a personal story, that isn't what you interrogate. You interrogate other people in the room and their experiences with the same kind of thing, because sometimes it's a little, our our room, especially their raw personal things that people bring up. And um, even though it's a respectful conversation, you know, when there's a, it's difficult to kind of, also resist that. So I look for that 
you know, and I think that those are the things that people have to uh, work on often. Um, but, uh, but, you know, I think you want people with an incredible work ethic, just, just people who are uh, working as hard as you are on the show and care that much about the job. And, and you have to kind of divorce yourself from the material. I, you know, you have to work as hard on a show you aren't in love with because there's going to be episodes and moments you aren't in love with. You're, you know, you're, so I think I look for people who have uh, a, a lot of experience working on a lot of different shows, um, a lot of different kinds of shows. And then the other thing I, I honestly is, is that you need people who are, um, who have energy mm. over a long period, creative energy, because that's the thing that's hard is, is when you see someone like Elizabeth Moss on set or, or Bradley Whitford, Bradley Whitford has been doing this a long time and so has Lizzie. Um, you see how they marshal their resources. How do they keep themselves fresh for the, because the time that matters is the time in front of the camera. Um, that's when they have to shine, but they have to deal out, you know, they have to deal with everybody all day long. How do they reserve their energy and how do they build their energy? Lizzie builds her energy by chit-chatting. You know, she has her, she's been there forever. These are people you know, she knows really well. Um, you know, uh, uh, other actors are very, very quiet marshaling their, their, energy on set um so you have to kind of you know uh experience breeds different kinds of ways of having endurance what do you sort of see as is your role in the writer's room are you mainly protecting a vision with flexibility like how do you kind of think about taking in some of these different ideas and that type of thing whether or not they fit your north star for the season well uh the i i think what I what I do is I try to come up with a, ver, a an answer to the problem that we're being presented with, and then put that answer away and just listen to the conversation. So I can reduce my anxiety by knowing that there is a way out of this story problem, <laughs> and I know it. I, it may not be great. It may not be, but there's a way out. Okay. And that's, and so that's I take secretive? that. Is that like? You no, know, no, no, no. Just no. kind of. No, no. And you could. It's something that someone else could have said in the season. But you're you're satisfied in some way. Either you have an idea, but but what you don't tell people is, okay, I've got we've got a solution. We don't have we don't have the solution. We have a solution. So what I try to do then is play a very open game of can you top this? I mean, listen to really listen and engage with the other stuff because I should be standing very, I have an answer. I have one thing I can do. That's good, it's good, it'll work. So you, at that point you have to say, I'm not looking at a North Star. I'm looking at the conversation and I'm trying to see how it goes. And I'm, trying, I'm not trying to point anywhere. I said, in fact, it's the opposite. I already have a North Star. It's in my bag. It's in my pocket. It's in the back of my head. Half the room knows it, or all the room knows it, that we decided we're going to do X. But let's have a genuine conversation about why. And so I think that, uh, but I, I see my, my, my position in the room changes a little bit. Now I'm a little more intimidating than I used to be as a, as a human, which is, makes people quiet, you know, newer people. So that's tough. I got to kind of work against that. Um, which, you know, who knew that was going to happen? That, that was a surprise. Um, but what I like to do is I, I in, in the room, my job is to help recognize and define what I consider the problem. Mm -hmm. So if it, don't say, ah, this is 
you know, the episode just isn't working for me. Okay, what I have to get to is it isn't working for me because it's boring. Why is it boring? This this thing takes too long. Okay, well, but it takes that long. How do we how do we shorten it? Okay, group, how do we shorten this thing? How do we tell this piece of the story? That's my job is to keep. So I'm trying to answer the question, ask the question, and then everybody in the room is either trying to refine the question or answer it. Not they're not trying to ask another question. That's the key of me. I've got to say, this is the work we're doing today. We're going to figure out how to shorten this, right? Because otherwise you sit in the room and everybody's going, well, in this episode, and uh, you know, it's like you need someone to say, this is it. This is today's work. And I think that in a job like mine and yours, it's a little bit like Jello. You never feel like you finish. You never feel like it's done. You never. So if I can say to them at the end of the day, well, great, we figured that out. We'll hit something else tomorrow. They can go home feeling at least a little like they accomplished something. Mm. That they moved along from there was no answer to there's a few answers or there's a kind of an answer or we're closer to an answer or we figured out something so we can just dump that whole part. You know, so whatever it is. So the more I can present a question, the more they can feel like they're making progress towards the solution. Now, if they are making progress towards the solution to that question, and they're still not making progress on the show. That's my fault, not theirs. I asked the wrong question. You know, so, so the good thing is they also don't judge. They trust me that they're making forward progress um, because they have actually no control over it. I take that responsibility away from them. They don't have to figure out where the ship is going that day. And I think that's my biggest thing is to, you're trying to absorb people's anxiety and let it not affect their work. What are some of the changes in conversation between maybe a season one versus a season four? Like I would imagine season one, you might be talking about other shows on right now. Season four, you might just be talking about your, your own backlog. Like what are some of those conversations? How do they differ? Oh, they differ quite a bit just because you've got so much more uh, story that you've, you know, written as fact that's been on television when you get to season four. Um, I, Everything we think of, everything we talk about, everything that ends up in script, it's all complete bullshit vaporware until it's on TV. Mm-hmm. The minutes that are on TV, on film, is the sh- are the show and the, ca- the canon. Everything else is, it doesn't matter. And so um, th- what you have to do is when you're like me, I remember things that I pitched in season one that everybody hated, but in my head, it's already in the show. It didn't even make it into a script. I saw it in my head. And so I am constantly being reminded, oh, no, we didn't do that, Bruce. That was a bad idea. So we didn't do it or whatever. It was too expensive or, you know, Lizzie wouldn't put on the chicken outfit. No, she never refused. (laughs) Um, But, you know, or whatever. And so one of the first things I have to do is go through and see what we did. What's there? Not what I think is there. What's there? And I go back to the beginning. I do. I actually revisit the beginning of the show. Um, so I go back and watch in the past up until now, we've watched the whole season up until, you know, like, but we can't anymore. It's just too onerous to sit and watch the whole season altogether. Um, so I've been doing it on my own. Um, and so that's how I kind of rev up. Uh, luckily, or fortunately, I was fired like a ton of times. Oh, you know, I constantly got never succeeded on a show till this one. So 
I worked with lots of different showrunners, but also I worked on shows that were pilots and I worked on shows like ER that were in season nine. So I got both of those experiences. And I think the key, the, the, the key for my show is sitting down and saying, where is June and where is June going? Mine's a, I, I, um, people talk about the creative process and I always think that's so weird because it's like, if I do my job really well, I'm not really creating anything. I'm kind of revealing where June is headed. I'm kind of peeling her back and just following her, seeing her, like relaxing enough to let her go her own way and saying, oh, that's where, where the story would go. That's where June would go. So it isn't really creating, it's kind of an exposing process, you know, um, you know, a digging out process rather than a, than a career. And it's also not a process. It doesn't work the same. A process is just something that works the same each time so that you can repeat it. You repeat a process. Well, it isn't a process. So it's like not creative. It's an excavative, not process. And so uh, what I try to do is, and this is even more important going forward, is you really try to feel where's June going? Because if you're with June and that's a natural push, everything that happens will be natural from that. So I, I feel like the, the key is that when you get to the end of season one, you really have hopefully a lot of things that you want to do in season two. Got a lot of gas in the tank, you under your foot on the gas and it's moving forward. Here, what you have to do is let the car go its own direction for a little bit before you take over the wheel. Because if you don't, it'll always go to the same place. It'll go, Bruce Miller thinks this is cool. And nobody wants that. I went, June's story is interesting. And I'm often surprised by June's story because I don't create it entirely. Lizzie, Margaret Atwood, all the other writers, all the other actors together create that person. So it's a lot, I can get a lot more surprises listening to June than I can listening to myself. Hmm. What kind of conversations are maybe you in that the staff writers are not in, maybe in terms of like, we're holding this for the next season or this might be three years from now. Do you guys, are you guys talking about that regularly? And are you, is anything precious in terms of what's from the book and that type of thing? Uh, I don't, I don't hold back anything intentionally from the staff writers or from not creatively, the whole group would be, you know, there, there's plenty of producer stuff that I wouldn't talk to the group about for a million reasons, uh, you know, money reasons or privacy reasons, or just, you know, why should they be annoyed reasons? Uh, but creatively, you know, we, we're a team and if someone comes and we're talking about something in the future, then that's important to them to know. I shouldn't know things. Now, that means that if I haven't decided about something, I generally also don't say it because you don't, because there's kind of this, like it comes out of my mouth and it's written in stone and I don't want that. So you got to be careful. You, for a while, you you say, everything you say is this isn't written in stone. That stopped working. So now I just got to not say it. So there's you know kind of um, there's there's that. But um, we do have a you know just a whole bunch of stuff ideas you've come up with over the years. Either things that it was were on the original. Ooh, this is from the book. I'd really like to do it. Board mm-hmm. or um, things that just came up that were super interesting that we had a cut for one reason or another. So we have tons of those. Most of the time they don't come back. I would say I'm more, I mean, as much as I save all those things and I wish they did come back, there are some things like, you know, the ceremony, which you, you know, we certainly wanted to show, we showed in the first episode, but most of the things we wanted to dramatize that are specifically described in the book, 
mm-hmm. we've been able to, but there's tons and tons. I mean, I, I'm halfway through the book. I reread it every off season and I always find things that I had no idea about that would be whole seasons of the show, you know, about this or that purge or this or that. Anyway, it's all interesting to me. Um, so I, I definitely kind of revisit the, the source material um, and look for things there. And then I think we, at the beginning of the season, we meet with a lot of experts and do a lot of our research at the beginning of the season. Um, in the past, honestly, it's been mostly people from the UN about what life it would be like in a real Gilead, what life would be like for refugees in, in Canada, what would the Canadians be dealing with in terms of having all these foreigners in their country, you know, and having to service them. And what does it mean for America, a very rich country to have a lot of refugees? Would they be supported? Anyway, all of those things. So this time of year, uh, and a lot of stories come from that, which is just, and, and once again, it's following June. June is June. The June story is really, you know, she's either a political prisoner, basically, or a refugee. Those are her only two options or, a you know, displaced internal refugee trying to run away. Um, and so uh, she really is. It's interesting that you don't see her very much, but she is a pawn of international politics. We're just right. We're writing it on a very personal level. I think we're about out of time, but just one last question. Um, so you've got a. A, a long career under your belt as a producer, screenwriter, showrunner. If you were starting today, if you were 20 years old, how would you possibly break into the business? Where would you begin? Well, I think the most important thing is to work on your writing and your and your actual craft. So watching lots of TV shows, reading scripts, having a writer, all those boring things. Because what, what happens is, you know, there's 60 ways to kind of get your first foot in the door and then what I see is the big and and people work on those so hard that when they get there they don't have anything to to show you and go okay here's what I want to do so so I'd say uh, focus much more on getting your writing better as good as it can be because because especially you know it's honestly it's a lot harder to get your second job than your first if if you fail your first Mm no one's going to hire you again. So you got to make, so what, what I think you want to do is go about learning how to write. And through that process, you'll make enough inroads that you can get, a, you can get your first job. So, you know, take classes, uh, go to writer's groups, you know, find a writer's group of, of idiot friends. That's, you know, what, what I did, what everybody does, what my son has, it's great. Uh, you know, um, uh, do, there's so much online classes and, uh, uh, information and all the stuff but try to find a group of other writers that you can talk to and exchange stuff with try to find people who are at your level um and because everybody rises at a different speed and someone in that group will rise faster than you and help break the way um and what you'll get from that is the absolute piece of information you can't get from me which is how do you do it today how do you do it now not when i did it um when i w- rode my conestoga wagon across america into you know, to Los Angeles. My kids think that that's what I, when I came. Um, but uh, I, I, I would say the, the most important element of success is, is your ability to write. And that is the one that takes the longest to develop. That's the one you should focus on. Um, and that's the one that in the end is the rare one that if you're really good on the page, then, uh, 
you know, if you start a little late, if, you know, so, you know, I worked in a bookstore for years, you know, it's, you just gotta, you just gotta, I mean, I, I had so many privileges of security, you know, money back home and all of that stuff. Uh, so I didn't worry about being homeless, which is wonderful. Most people don't have that. Uh, but anything you can do to make yourself feel a little more patient, like it's not a rush, uh, that's the, the best thing. Because learning how to write, that's what you can focus on. That'll give you the route to the business. It's a tiny bit slower than the other routes, I think. But in the end, you know, if you work on a script for two years and you submit it to the Warner Brothers workshop and they love it and they send it out as a sample and you get a job. If you can write one script every two years, I fire you in five minutes because you're worthless to me. So it doesn't matter how long, it how, how, how beautiful a script you can write given unlimited time, that's not a situation. So uh, that's why, you know, you really got to get good at it because otherwise you're worthless once I get you, you know, and as much as I may like you or think you're talented, you're, I'm still paying you real money. So. Okay. Perfect. Thanks Not too discouraging. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to the show. If it's your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button and visit my new website for information on the YouTube channel, the blog, the podcast, and my new book, Ink by the Barrel, which takes advice from these 200 plus interviews and more at brockswinson.com. You'll see the link in the show notes. Thanks again.